Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the seed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. The chemical burn. Well, they've been burning us and the food we eat for a very long time now, and they won't be stopping anytime soon. Since the modern industrialization of agriculture in the 1940s, synthetic chemicals in the form of fertilizers and pesticides have been used in soils and on crops. But over the last two decades, the market has been flooded with these chemicals that are produced in greater quantities and in different, more toxic varieties. This increase in chemical production contradicts the early claims of the biotech industry, arguing that the cultivation of their GMO crops would require less need for pesticides. Well, these claims, of course, turned out to be completely false. In 2007, 1.1 billion pounds of pesticides were used on U.S. crops. As of 2012... We go from 1.1 billion to 5.1 billion pounds. That is over a 360% increase. Well, keep in mind these figures pertain to agriculture in just the United States, but the global picture is much the same. A drastic increase in the application of more and more pesticides. Why is this happening? Well, the simple answer is that weeds and bugs seem to be mutating and becoming resistant to current levels of chemical application. And some say that's very much by design. It has become such a noticeable problem, in fact, that farmers have come to call these pests superweeds and superbugs. Now, one of the primary functions of GMO crops is that they are engineered to be immune to certain proprietary pesticides. For example, Monsanto sells GM seeds that are impervious to its own herbicide brand known as Roundup. What this means is farmers who plant Monsanto seeds can then spray the growing crops with Roundup, killing the weeds but not harming the crop. A business model like this has served agrochemical corporations very well over the years as they make profit on both their seeds and the chemicals that go along with them. But the crack that is developing in this model, with super pests out of control, well, this has become an embarrassing problem for the industry because of their initial promises of miracle improvements to agricultural productivity. Pests are getting so out of control to the point crop yields are actually decreasing. Lower yields also contradict another promise made by the agribusiness industry, that by using their GMO seeds, farmers would experience boosts in bounty and in profit. Since none of this has turned out to be true, uh, it has made farmers concerned and angry, to say the least, what is the solution? Well, that depends on who you ask. Companies like Monsanto, Syngenta, and Bayer are now telling farmers to use greater quantities of their chemicals to control the pests 
and have already been granted approval by the EPA to do so. But Dow AgriScience and others are actually pushing for the approval of even more extreme forms of toxic chemicals to spray on crops. Toxic chemicals that have been proven to be an extreme health risk for all inhabitants on the planet. These are not solutions to the problem. These are instead corporate decisions adding momentum, whether it is intended or not, to the GMO pesticide chemical cycle that was created years ago. How are you and I affected by all of this? Well, that's the focus of tonight's broadcast, examining different aspects of the chemicals we are all exposed to, either in the air we breathe, the soil we plant in, and ultimately in the food we eat. I'm going to talk about Agent Orange, the deadly killer from the Vietnam War era, which ravaged anyone who came in contact with it and resulted in birth defects, cancers, and other atrocities. Uh, I'm going to talk about other chemical travesties uh, like napalm, PCBs, dioxin, DDT, and two of the latest nasties brewing for the market. One is called dicamba, and the other is 2,4-D which were both defoliant chemicals used to kill just about everything in wartime, but are now being pushed for use on our food crops. What's going on here, folks, is truly incredible, blatantly reckless, and profoundly frightening. Uh, but first, before I get into all of that, let's talk about pesticides that pertain to industrialized agriculture. Generally, they can be divided into three main categories. Herbicides, which are chemicals that kill unwanted weeds and plants. Insecticides, chemicals that kill insects and other bugs. And fungicides, chemicals that kill mold or uh, other fungus types. And these chemicals can all be applied in any number of ways. By coating seeds with them before the seeds are actually planted. By mixing the chemicals into the soil whereby plants absorb them through their roots. By directly spraying them onto the leaves of crops or by genetically engineering plants themselves to produce the pesticides internally as part of their growing process. Regardless of the mode of application, modern-day pesticide products are considered extremely toxic. In fact, according to the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants, nine of the 12 most dangerous organic chemicals on the planet are used as pesticides. Let me say that again. Three-quarters of the most dangerous organic chemicals in existence on the planet are applied as pesticides. That is a frightening thought, especially when considering these are used on food crops everywhere. And even more frightening is to know that the top pesticide sellers in the world are the same who produce genetically modified seeds for food crops. The very largest are Bayer and Syngenta, who combined produce 40% of all agricultural pesticides. And they are followed by BASF, Dow, Monsanto, and DuPont, in that descending order, making up most of the remaining percentage. There they all are again, folks, the big six, the six kings that I spoke about in last week's show. And notice who is in the lead for chemicals. Bayer and Syngenta, not Monsanto. Now, herbicides are the most prevalent pesticide used in agriculture, taking up 60% of the market, more than double that of insecticides. Fungicides kill molds, rust, and rot, but are not needed as much for most food crops. And they claim only about 10% of the overall pesticides market. But as far as herbicides go, glyphosate is the toxic chemical of choice. It was actually invented and marketed by Monsanto under the brand name Roundup in the early 1970s. However, the patent for glyphosate expired in 2000, 
making it fair game for other companies to come in and capitalize on. And this is exactly what happened. When Monsanto could no longer hold on to the patent, all the other agri-companies swooped in to seize on the opportunity to modify it slightly and then fit it into their own product lines. And this made it possible for mega-companies like Bayer and Syngenta, whose business centers more around chemicals anyway, to steal part of the market from Monsanto. And even though Roundup and its associated GM seeds account for half of Monsanto's annual revenue, glyphosate it is now marketed in different solution strengths and with various added compounds, all under a myriad of trade names sold by different companies around the world. And in 2007, glyphosate was the most used herbicide in the U.S. agricultural sector and the second most used in home and garden markets. It gained so much popularity in the beginning because of its effectiveness in absorbing directly into growing weeds and supposedly didn't pose a risk to animals or humans. But since its introduction decades ago, not only has it proven to be a cancer-causing agent to humans, it has become much less effective in killing weeds. As a result, agribusiness companies are now competing to fill what they are calling the glyphosate gap. In other words, looking for new chemicals to compensate for the lack of glyphosate's effectiveness. Because of its heavy use through the years, 14 weed species on five continents have now developed a resistance to it. Now Monsanto, Bayer, Syngenta, and all the other biotech companies who have a stake in glyphosate successfully lobbied the regulatory agencies to allow for higher concentration levels of the chemical to be commercialized. Higher levels. Despite a number of scientific studies showing the dangers to human health, it will not only continue to be sold, but now sold at increased potencies and in greater volume. This is incredibly alarming, because as the studies have continued to come in, glyphosate has turned out to be much more ruinous to human health than was ever thought before. One of the biggest dangers is that it has had a perceived image of being safe. And this is partly due to extensive advertising and misinformation campaigns in the public domain by the very corporations selling it. And they continue to claim that it is a harmless chemical at low concentrations. But this is completely untrue. The unique thing about glyphosate is that it can insidiously manifest slowly over time, even at very low concentrations, where it would not be considered a toxic threat by most standards. Inflammation occurs that damages cells and systems throughout the body. It can take years to manifest, but severe and negative impacts still result, which include gastrointestinal disorders, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, depression, autism, infertility, cancer, and Alzheimer's disease. These are all health conditions that have been on the rise since the onset of glyphosate and result from slight exposure to it. But at exposure to higher concentrations of the pesticide, countless people have suffered extreme medical issues and even death. One particular case tells of an 11-year-old boy in Paraguay who was just walking home from school when he was enveloped in a cloud of Roundup being sprayed by a crop duster. He arrived home barely able to breathe and was rushed to the nearest hospital where he died five days later. And there are many, many more cases that reveal the adverse effects of glyphosate just the same. There have been a number of studies trying to ascertain the amount of glyphosate existing in our environment, and one of these was a 2011 study that detected it in roughly 80% of all U.S. air and rain samples. 
And last year, another study revealed widespread glyphosate contamination in groundwater. It is alarming how embedded this pesticide has become in our lives, even if we have never personally used it or knowingly been around it. And just two months ago, back in June, a study was done abroad that randomly tested for glyphosate in 182 volunteers from 18 different countries. The U.S. was not included. It showed that 44% of those tested had traces of the pesticide in their system, despite never having handled it or been around it. If glyphosate was detected in nearly half of the people tested in European countries, just imagine what the percentage would be here in the United States. This is the GMO capital of the world, and so we are the pesticide capital as well. Well, glyphosate isn't the only toxic pesticide that has had catastrophic impact on human health. In fact, Bayer's insecticide, endosulfan, is argued to be even worse. Endosulfan has been used in agriculture around the world to control a wide variety of insect pests. Due to its unique mode of action, it has been effective in killing bad insects, but it also kills the good ones. This has made it a danger in that it wrecks ecosystems wherever it is used. And, of course, it is also hazardous to humans. In India, endosulfan was sprayed on cashew nut plantations for over 20 years. And as a consequence, people living and working there suffered significant congenital, reproductive, and long-term neurological damage. In the particular region it was sprayed, 500 deaths are officially acknowledged due to endosulfan poisoning. But the real number is likely much higher, closer to 4,000. Almost 10,000 people are reported to have had health problems resulting from exposure to this chemical, with many more suffering indefinitely. In general, chemical pest control based on genetically engineered seeds is a failed, unsustainable technology. In response to the growing ineffectiveness of other pesticides such as glyphosate, agribusiness corporations are responding by investing hundreds of millions of dollars on the development of a new generation of genetically engineered seeds. These seeds will be able to withstand herbicides of incredible toxicity. What these companies now have in mind is to commercialize two of the most toxic chemicals ever unleashed. And these are 2,4-D, a component of the Vietnam War defoliant Agent Orange, and dicamba, which is chemically related to 2,4-D. Dow AgroSciences has applied for regulatory approval of 2,4-D tolerant corn with similar applications for soybeans and cotton close behind, hoping to follow the same methods Monsanto did with its Roundup-ready, glyphosate-resistant crops. These chemical agents are extreme and were initially designed to kill all foliage sprayed with them. They are known carcinogens and cause considerable genetic damage to humans, meaning that severe birth defects would occur and be passed on through the generations. As an example, Agent Orange, used in the 1960s during the Vietnam War, affects thousands of people to this day, either through direct affliction of those who were in contact with it or by the passing of genetic mutations onto their children. 2,4-D and dicamba are derivatives of Agent Orange used in the war. Corporations now want to use the same chemicals on our food crops. Pesticide residue is never removed completely. And so it is inevitable that these residues will be inadvertently consumed if they are commercialized. The chemical burn. Like I said at the start of the program, it's been burning us for a long time. It's burning our crops, burning the food that we eat, and ultimately burning our human health and longevity. 
That's an awful lot of destruction. And for what? Someone's corporate profit? Which brings me to my closing point. Why? Why aren't more of us asking the questions? And why aren't more of us demanding the answers from the federal protective agencies put in place to keep us safe? Questions like, why is the food we eat from the crops we grow in the hands of chemical corporations rather than agricultural ones? And oh sure, these biotech companies like to call themselves agribusiness, but they aren't agricultural companies. They are in the business of chemicals. And the GMO seeds they are selling are nothing more than really a ploy to force the sale of more and more chemicals by engineering increased and total dependence upon them. And what about the other questions? Like, why is our food being grown with so many excessive and deadly chemicals? And we're not just talking about your run-of-the-mill chemicals. We're talking about the most monstrous chemicals known to man and which have done the most damage to man. And why is that somehow considered common practice? That it's not at all strange to grow our food with the same chemicals that killed thousands upon thousands and created barbaric and perpetual afflictions in those exposed victims who I suppose weren't fortunate enough to die from their initial exposure? And why has our government allowed corporate interests to take the reins of making policy why have they quit on their public responsibility to decide what is right, what is legal, what is safe, what is ethical, and what is humane for its people? For all of us. Instead, a group of elite black suits running giant biotech companies from a conference room somewhere are entrusted with deciding these things for us as they count their profits and applaud themselves for their ingenuity. Why? Why aren't more of us asking why and demanding to know the answers? And on that note, now I'd like to move on to a part of the show called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks can write into the show and share their thoughts, comments, and ask their questions too. And I will do my best to address as many as I can during each broadcast. And up first, we have Lori. Lori writes into the show and says, It seems to me the entire consumer market is corrupt. It's not just the genetically modified food portion of it either, whether it's 80% or not. Everything in the stores we buy from seems to have some racket going on, whether it's just cheap and illegal labor some companies use from foreign countries to make products. So my question is, if the GMO industry is a big piece of wool pulled over our eyes, don't you think the odds are high the organic industry is doing the same thing to us? Well, hi, Lori. Thanks so much for writing into the show. That is a very good question, and I think a lot of folks out there are asking the same one. Uh, with consumer awareness growing and the climate uh, the GMO debate has created, many of us are becoming more and more skeptical. Look, here's what the nature of the beast really is. You know, a spade's a spade. Uh, this is what it is in America, profit. Uh, selling products for profit. That in and of itself is not a crime. That's the American way and road to the American dream, as it were. But in any industry, particularly a controversial one that is at polar opposites with each other, you are going to have your source bad guy, which in this case we'll just say is the GM food industry. And then you're going to see the sucker fishes come along, like those things that attach to sharks to feed off them. And they, by nature, are opportunistic in their goals. Uh, and that's a very good an analogy here, really. If you're asking whether I think there are, 
are organic stores or product manufacturers who are exploiting the GMO fever? Of course there are. Absolutely there are. But here's the thing. Business is about making money. But that doesn't mean that everyone out there is trying to get an unfair leg up on someone else. Uh, not every food manufacturer is using GMO. And a growing number of food manufacturers are creating organic products because they truly feel not only there is a market, but a real need, and that it's also the right thing to do. They recognize that if we don't preserve some kind of organic market, we will be 100% GMO in no time, and, and that's very frightening. So the key here is to do your own research. Talk to the companies or the local health and organic stores you're buying from. You know, we're not stupid. And it's it's pretty transparent which organic companies are out there trying to make a buck off of sort of playing both sides of the GMO controversy and the ones who who truly care about organic health and preservation regardless of that controversy. But ultimately, do what you feel is right for you and, and for your family. Don't allow the manufacturing industry on either side of the issue prevent you from the most important thing, and that's protecting your health. Thanks for writing into the show. And up next, we have a question from Patrick. He writes in and says, Hi, Anna. Why do you think Europe is so much more outspoken about GMOs, flat out refusing them into some countries? I don't understand how Europe and the United States can be sitting on such different ends of the spectrum when it comes to food issues. Most of Europe is Americanized anyway, so where is the disconnect between us and them? Well, hi, Patrick, and thanks for writing in. Uh, wow, that is a really great question. Here's the thing. Europe may be Americanized, and in some respects, there's an awful lot of big money over there. But while Europeans may be Americanized, that doesn't mean they are corporatized, at least not like we know it here. And that's the basic answer to your question right there. Uh, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. The European system is built on a completely different set of values and enterprise than uh, is our system here in America. Uh, our government and European governments do not operate in fundamentally the same ways. Uh, sure, everyone wants to make a profit, but here in America there is a built-in conflict of interest between corporate enterprise and political power, uh, and there seems to be an inherent uh, consumer neglect that kind of comes along with that. You know, we don't come first. We come third. Uh, the consumers, that is. Uh, and also in Europe, you know, there is history, tradition, and a deeper sense of responsibility to its people, uh, national interests, and community. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, there's a reason that so many Europeans look at Americans as gluttonous, greedy, obnoxious, pushy, self-entitled, and uh, selfish, you know, uh, Sadly, you know, we have earned that reputation. And in fact, we broadcast it in everything that we do uh, via the way our government works and the foreign policy that we display. Um, you know, there is an understanding in Europe of national sovereignty. They understand something that we really do not. And it is a part of them, part of their fabric. Uh, even for babies who are born today over there, it will become part of them. There is a deeply rooted uh, religious grounding and those countries paid for their borders with an awful lot of blood uh, throughout history. And so their independence and protection of their people is an intrinsic trait uh, that they have, much more so than is exhibited here. Uh, you know, here we're not very old. We were built on the promise of making lots of money and the idea of prosperity. You know, we're a capitalist system. 
So uh, I hope that gives you some insight, in my opinion anyway, as to uh, kind of where those divisions stem from. Great question, and thanks again for writing into the show. And up next, we have a question from Brenda. Uh, wow, a lot of great questions uh, here tonight. Um, Brenda writes in and says, uh, Hello, I really enjoy your show and all the educational information I get from it each week. I'd like to know what you think about labeling and the consumer right to know actions out there. Do you think we'll ever see mandated GMO labeling nationwide? And if and when we ever do, what is your opinion on where that puts things? What happens after we win the labeling war, assuming we eventually do? Well, hi, Brenda. Thanks so much for writing in with a really great question. Uh, you know, the tides are turning, and that is such fantastic news. Uh, I believe that we will see labeling mandates nationwide, and I don't really think it's too terribly far off uh, in the future. Now, I don't know exactly where that will leave us, but I do know that the war against GMO and the practices of the biotech industry will be far from over, unfortunately. And my personal concern is that consumers are spending so much time and energy and focus on fighting for labels. And don't get me wrong, it's very, very important but I fear that the issue has almost become a decoy to what the fundamental crisis really is, which is not labeling. Uh, what will likely happen once labeling is required is these companies will figure out how to get around it. And th they're already working on it. They already have. You know, they are not going to slip into some kind of disclosure culture with the words GMO uh, plastered all over their products. I just don't see that happening. Uh, they will want to find alternatives so that they can avoid stamping uh, products with that label and possibly even claim to be GMO-free as some kind of a marketing campaign. What they're already doing is something called targeted genome editing. And I'm going to talk about that in a future show, but what's going on here is in anticipation of the coming labeling laws, which are really just inevitable these companies will be able to edit genes without the use of the current GMO technology, but achieving the same results. That's not a good thing. It's, it's not that they will be giving up GMO practices. They will just be redefining them. Genes will still be manipulated and shuffled around, recombined uh, with the same end effect, including the risks, ramifications, and unknown outcomes. So I think we have a long war ahead of us to overcome the flag that the biotech world has placed in our food supply. Uh, and they have no intention of, of pulling out willingly. Uh, you know, there's way too much money to be made. And that's why consumers are just in for a very long fight uh, over the safety of our food. Uh, labeling will be a victory without a doubt and one we should celebrate and be really, really proud of as consumers. But it's not the end of anything. And in many ways, it's it's really just going to be the beginning. A great question, and thanks so much for writing into the show. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just go ahead and fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. 
Your voice really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins, so let's get talking. And I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad. And the show is also on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash GMO Mad Science. And lastly, I want to tell you about Living Eden Magazine, which I launched a few months ago. It is full of resource material, news, articles, and, and more. So if you would like to become a subscriber, please just visit the website at www.livingedenmagazine.com to learn more. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. Just a quick program note, however, there will not be a show next week, uh, and my apologies to my listeners, but I will unfortunately not be available. But I will be back on the air the following week, and that's Tuesday, August 27th. We'll continue our conversation with a program named Building to Break. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.